Good morning and Merry Christmas. I like to say Blessed Christmas as well because um, the blessing is there for us. There is something tangible, something solid, something substantial that God has for us this Christmas. I'm very sure of that. And I'd like to share with you uh, from a passage that's very familiar with, with us. It's worth for us to just read um, this whole passage about the birth of Jesus. And you can find this in Luke chapter 2, and we'll read it from verse 1. Okay? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, which included Palestine, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which he called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. It was very inauspicious. Verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings or good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has known to us. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has known to us. That's, that's quite an important thing because this will be the moment of truth. Because they had just seen a revelation of angels. And um, if all that the angels said did not come to pass, all that experience would actually be held in question. And so what was important for them is to go and see whether everything that they saw, that heard from the angels, was a hallucination, a mass hallucination, or it was something significant, okay? And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the thing that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering in them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us and we thank you that you chose the shepherds to bring the first message of your coming to the earth. It's so important for us to know that you dared to make the shepherds your witnesses. And so we ask you that today that when you speak, you, that you will speak to us, us in such a way 
that we will be blessed and that our lives will be never the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was saying, if the shepherds really found the baby, it would mean that God actually came to them. That God actually came to such small, insignificant, mean people. You see, it's very important that we get this straight, okay? Did God really show it to them? And did they actually see what God had revealed to them, the angel revealed to them, really uh, materialize or appear or buried, uh, get validated? Well, it looks like they did, they, that they actually saw the baby. There were not that many babies born in a manger in swaddling clothes. And somehow the directions that the angel had given to them were bang on. And uh, they indeed saw a vision of angels. That's amazing. Um, I know an an incident in which uh, this happened to Stephen Mubanga. Um, When he was in Zambia, he had applied to uh, Fuller, Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, so that he could study. There was no money, but he felt the Lord had uh, spoken to him to come to study and do his master's in, in, uh, in America, in Fuller. Um, it would re- require many, many miracles. But one of the things that God showed him was a vision of someone, a particular person in our church. And God spoke to him that he should go to the church that this person uh, went to in this vision. And the person that um, uh, he saw in this vision, he had never seen her from Adam or Eve, was Hepzibah Perti. She was the one who was working in Fuller, and she actually happened to be working in International Students Affairs. And he saw her, when he saw her, he asked her, which church do you go to? And Hepzibah told her about Vision Christian Fellowship, and he is here because of that vision that he had. This is an authentic vision, in which he saw out of nowhere a Filipino woman, Hepzibah, exactly Hepzibah, and he came to VCF and he's now such an important, the whole family, uh, Stephen, Mary and the family, are such an important part of, this, of, of our church. They had many, many miracles involving thousands and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars that they did not have, which God provided. Um, does God actually reveal himself to us in this way? Indeed, he does. But the question for me here is for the shepherds. Did God actually reveal himself to the shepherds? Because the thing about it is that, that, that the shepherds were not held in high esteem. Philo uh, speaks about the shepherds as mean and inglorious. Inglorious. Mean, and, and I, I believe mean does not just mean being mean the way in which we, we use that word now. Mean means small, insignificant, of no, of no value, of no, no import at all. Um, the, the oral tradition, um, uh, the Talmud, for example, Sanhedrin Tractate, uh, talks about um, shepherds as people whose word could not be trusted in court. So shepherds' witness, the, the witness of shepherds, would not be accepted in court. Okay? Um, even uh, uh, one, of the, one of the 
quotes from the Talmud um, uh, talks about when you see someone in trouble who's a Gentile, don't help them. And also don't help the shepherd as well. So the, the, the oral tradition around that period seems to tell us that shepherds in that region were considered not of that great repute. Um, and if God actually chose to actually speak to them, the implications are huge because of the fact that God would actually consider such insignificant people, people of no repute in society, the very ones to speak to, the ones who are insignificant, the ones who are really small in the eyes of most people. The fact that he did not speak to Herod and did not find the high and mighty that interesting, but considered the shepherds to be the ones that he would reveal himself to at the risk of their lack of credibility showing forth is tremendous. It is tremendous. So I want to talk a little bit about that because uh, in some ways, uh, you know, the, the, the incidence about the shepherds is not that significant in terms of the, the narrative and the plot line going forward. You don't see that what the shepherds did really carries the plot forward. It is actually a sort of a little blip, a sort of a little kind of a, an aside almost. And yet God considered that important enough for all of us, for all these generations, to have to read every Christmas. It's an amazing thing that we have to read about this insignificant group of people who don't really mean anything in, uh, to, to, to the people around them. And yet, every Christmas, we have to read this part about the shepherds, even though this narrative doesn't move the plot anywhere, any forward. It's an amazing thing that God would take the time to, to bend down and consider these people significant. In some ways, for us, as, uh, as Christians, as, as, we, as we come before Christmas, especially in this time of COVID-19, the sense of significance or insignificance is a huge thing. The less and less we are um, together, the less and less we are able to do our normal things, the more and more the issues of significance um, come up. Do we matter? Do we matter to God? Do I matter to God? Am I special? Am I significant at all? And I just want to talk a little bit about this, especially in Christ Christmas, because sometimes... Uh, when we come to festivities like this, it is quite easy for us to feel actually very insignificant. Not only insignificant to our friends and people around us, but to God as well. I'd like to talk a, a, bit, about, a bit like that. We suffer from the fear that we, we can be shuffled about, shuffled away with all the other statistics that, that happen. And I, I feel that... Um, Many of us could ask and wonder whether our pain, the things that we're going through, is significant at all to God. You know, I think um, the fact of uh, um, our own culture is some indicative of the fact that we are always looking for something that makes us special or matter or significant. 
I think this is the struggle of all of humankind. We desire to mean something, to mean something to God, or to mean something. If there's no God, then at least to someone. And the fact of the matter is that human beings struggle, struggle greatly uh, to mean something. And the, and the shepherds, it's an amazing thing, that the shepherds who don't matter, actually, they don't matter in the plot story, who don't matter in the, their society, were the ones that mattered to God. And it's almost as if God put His judgment on the things that matter to us and the kinds of people that matter to us, the kind of icons that we want to hold in, rever in reverence. And God puts them all aside and He says, I'll tell you who's significant. Not because of what they've done, but because of the fact of my love. And he comes upon the shepherds, he comes upon Mary, comes on the most insignificant people, and says, you are the first ones I want to tell. At the risk of nobody believing you, at the risk of your credibility being shot through with holes, but in the terms of significance, in terms of being special, in terms of being loved, I love you on a completely different set of criteria than the things that make people significant. Our efforts at significance are very clearly seen in our society, don't, the, don't you think? We, fl we, we, we fluff ourselves up, we try to kind of make ourselves bigger, we uh, promote ourselves, uh, we, um, we hope that our accomplishments will make us significant. I mean, don't you find that even when you are in college, people are saying, do something significant. Do something significant so that you can authenticate your, your existence, so that you can be significant or you can be important or, or meaningful. Uh, we have celebrities who are supposed to be iconic. I've got to tell you, no one's iconic. You are not iconic and what you will do will, not, will probably not be iconic, even if you use the word iconic in the most loose and generous sense that Americans do. No, there is no one. Even, even when we use the word iconic in the cheap way that we usually do, you will not be iconic. Celebrities are forgotten. Most of the celebrities or the, 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 the rock stars that I used to follow are forgotten. Nobody knows who they are today. At that time, they were considered iconic. Of course, we, we wouldn't use the word that, that loosely. But I want to put it to you that we become people who are obsessed with significance. And for good reason, and for good reason, because there is in the human soul a huge question, a struggle to know whether we mean anything to anybody. And Christmas is a time in which this brings it out so much. Yeah? Your sense of mattering, or whether you matter to people, is going to be so huge this Christmas. And uh, the amazing thing is that God has a different way of counting significance. Not just because of the fact that philosophically we believe that we are all significant and all of us, all of us count and we matter and we are special and we are all, all things. Not just because of the fact that we believe that kind of uh, that mantra, but because of the fact that God really does, really does come to us. And the fact that's why, that, and that's why the fact that the, the, the shepherds actually saw a vision of angels and the angels actually came to them of all people and that what they saw from the angels actually panned out 
that they actually saw the baby is significant. It's significant because of the fact that God would consider them. Underneath all of society, on the bottom of the totem pole, so important, so treasured to them, that God would bring the angels. And it's amazing that. First of all, one angel comes to them, and it says, he stood before them. Okay, he stood before them. These are not angels that are floating in the sky. And sometimes we see all the, all the beautiful paintings, the classic paintings of angels, kind of in hosts of angels in the sky. No, no. This angel was right in front of them on the same ground as them. And he spoke to them. He spoke to them personally. And glory shone around. And then after that, a host of angels appeared before the shepherd. This is the only time I see that the ones who are performing, the choir of angels, was larger than the number of, of, uh, of shepherds, than the audience. Can you imagine the kind of love that God had for those who were considered or deemed insignificant? Because God deems us significant because of His love for us. Not because of anything that we have done to make ourselves significant, but because of the fact that before we were born, before we did anything, before we did anything good or bad or significant or insignificant or iconic, before all that, God loved you. God loved me before that. And my significance is not based upon anything I do yet. It's based upon the fact that I am loved by God. And what God did was to pass judgment on the world's kind of idea of significance, our idea of importance or, 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 or mattering, or specialness. And he passed judgment on that. And he says, it's not based upon anything you do. We live in a world in which we are, our desire for significance is so great that everything that we hear on TED Talks or, or on, on, on the books that we read or in, in, our, in our education, in, our, in high school or in college, the things that our parents tell us, is all about this. Be a significant person. Yes, the hunger is there. The hunger and the need and the struggle and the deep intuitive knowledge that we, we must matter is there. But I want to put it to you that man's way or human's way of being significant is by doing something significant. And we try to find something that's unique in us or, or we become competitive so that we'll be better, more significant than the other. And there are some of us who are constantly measuring ourselves against other people because you have no way of, of experiencing significance except for the fact that you do better than the next person or that you have something or you, that's different or you're more attractive than the other person, or that the other person is less good than you. And so the, so much of the human project, the, the human enterprise, is about getting ahead of someone else, or trying to somehow authenticate our own specialness or our significance in the light of whoever's out there. And so may I suggest to you that everything that we tend to do tends to become fluffy. And it's amazing that James talks about the fact that when you, come, when you come together as a church, you should never consider those who are more celebrity status in your church to have the special place. You should never consider, to consider those who are rich or powerful or significant or iconic to have special places in your church. You don't. Because when you do that, you attach significance from a completely different source, from a completely different heart and basis than what God does. And so I wonder whether 
today as we look at Christmas, as we come before uh, Christmas, uh, five more days before Christmas, God wants to start a new thing in your life and my life. And that is to talk to us about how loved we are, how significant we are, and change, tear out the basis of our human significance enterprise, so to speak. Tear out that base, tear out that foundation, and start a new foundation. The old foundation cannot cannot help but cause you to have stress, anxiety, self-doubt, and pride. And that will never even make you iconic. And God says, is, what God does is that He judges all that is found, that is attractive, that is significant in the world. He finds it to be not that interesting. Not that impressive. Not that interesting. And so let's look at Luke chapter, chapter 2. What an, what, a, what an amazing thing that the, all the contents of Luke chapter 2, about this, the, the, the nativity, have to do with very, very unimportant, mean sort of thing, mean as in small people, whether it's Mary or it's the, or it's the, or it's the shepherds. Quite amazing, isn't it? Quite amazing. And the angel, verse 9, of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You shall find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, with the angel, a multitude, bigger than the congregation, bigger than the audience, arose, a whole host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's amazing that what the angel did was to give the significance of God's love to the shepherds by showing them the glory of God. The glory of God. And glory shone all around. The significance came when the, when the Lord, when God of all creation spoke to them and gave them glory. That's what Jesus came to do when he died on the cross. He took upon himself all our ingloriousness. He took upon ourselves all the things that make us cheap, that make us diseased, that make us filthy, that make us sinful. took it upon himself. When he died, he was buried, and all our insignificance and all our, our, our meanness was, was buried with him when he rose from the dead. He rose glorious so that we could experience his glory. I want to tell you that if you, if you continue the, on the path, trying to find significance for yourself in order to, by, your, by virtue of your own works, become a significant person to God, it's never going to work. You've got to understand that, first of all, God gave you glory. And he gave the shepherds glory, so much so that the shepherds had something to take with them, no matter how mean they were. And mean, I mean small, pusillanimous, small, little, insignificant. 
they had a glory of God beating in their lives like a fire in their eyes and fire in their hearts. That had. And that was the thing that was of God. That was the thing that was more significant than anything that Herod could do. It would survive all the slaughter of the infants. It would, it would survive all the politics that was going on around. It would survive empires and it would hold steady and it would find its place in the scriptures read by us even though it didn't bring the plot any further. Can you imagine that? God wants to give you and me glory. He wants to give us glory. You know what's glory? Glory is the weight of himself. The weight of his own fellowship, his own person with us. And, uh, and, and this is what happened. It's so amazing. And, uh, and as the angels, of the, uh, angels began to, 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 to speak to them, and they said to, said, to, said to the shepherds, okay, you will find that everything that we said Everything that God spoke secretly to you will come to pass. And they went. And they went and found that what they had been told was really true. If I were one of the shepherds, I would think, what? That God finds me important enough? Special enough? Precious enough? To tell me something out of his heart. That me, in my own meanness, my own insignificance, my own boring uh, dullness, uh, and my, uh, my, my utter uninterestingness, could actually experience this? Wow! You know, I struggle with this ever since I was, I was, a, I was a child. When I was growing up, I was plagued by the sense of my own insignificance, my own sense of lack of personality. People would tell me, you know, I used to, I used to be the tallest in my class, but in, in, in Singapore and in Malaysia, being tall was not a good thing. So I would hunch myself. So I always walk like this. I would walk like this. And people would tell me, you have no personality because you're constantly walking uh, with a hunchback and, uh, and you had nothing much to offer. And I could see it. I found that for, as I was growing up, I found very difficult some of some things that many of the things that others, my friends and my neighbors and my classmates found really easy. I found life very, very difficult, actually. I found uh, an inordinate amount of nervousness in, uh, in my speech. I could not speak properly. I stuttered. I found myself uh, very uninteresting. In fact, I would be in a room and most of the time when there would be a lot of chatting going on, nobody would notice me. And I would, I would somehow make myself small. I'd hunch myself so small so that I could fit in with all the shorter kids in the class. I know in America, you, everybody likes to be tall. But in Malaysia, none of us like to be tall. I, I, had, I went to school and I felt so awkward uh, in, in life. And I've ever, always felt that even though I came from a Christian family, that God never would have any time for me or have any interest in me. I'd love to hear stories uh, that my, my uncles and aunts and my parents would tell about missionaries who experienced miracles. But I never could connect with God. I never felt that God would, could actually be interested in me. I knew my sins. I knew my own um, uh, 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 hold the holes in my personality. I knew that I, I, I was nothing special, nothing, nothing 
to talk about, nothing to rave about. And, uh, and I remember always comparing myself with other people and never being able to say, I'm better than this person and that. I was never, I don't have too many memories of being able to say, actually, I'm better than this person at all. Actually, I was, felt like I was the bottom of the totem pole. And I remember thinking that if there was a way in which I could go to heaven, it would have to be because God somehow ties himself to some kind of arcane commandment or some kind of rule or statute that because of the fact that I'm like most people, I'll sort of be shuffled in and swept into heaven just like everybody else who is mediocre and sinful and uh, dark and, and hopeless. And that's how I felt. And then suddenly, I went, to, I went to college, and when I was in college, an amazing thing happened. In spite of the fact that we, my family and all, grew up in the church, we had a tacit understanding that God isn't that real. That God is somehow a, a thought in our mind, a true thought that we believe in, but we'll have to wait till heaven before everything is confirmed. And I often felt, I'm not sure sometimes whether the God that I believe in was the true God or not the true God, but I'll have to wait till heaven to be able to, 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 be able to find out because there was nothing that would happen on earth that would confirm that. There was nothing on earth that would happen to me that showed that God really cared for me or loved me or that he would do anything through me. So I felt always like, as I've said before, someone who's chosen not to be chosen. Someone who's just completely forgotten or, or not, not uh, just passed over by God. When I heard the verse, you know, pe- that people would constantly be quoting John 3.16, God, for God so loved the world. I always thought of the world as something that's abstract and I was sort of part of the world, but never felt a personal touch of God the same way that the shepherds did. Because I felt there was nothing significant that I had done. There was nothing unique. There's nothing sacrificial, nothing noble that I'd done to deserve anything from God. And the world is doing this. The world is hoping that something noble, something that we do, something significant, something amazing, something unique that we do will make us significant, maybe to to other people or or to God. And then while I was in college doing my average and uh, mediocre thing that I always did, it came about that the Holy Spirit began moving in Kuala Lumpur, my, my, my city, and God began to do miracles in many people's lives. I saw Him doing miracles in people who you'd never expect that He would do them to. And my parents were very, very excited and very interesting about the fact that our dirty little secret that God had to be obeyed but he was not that real to us was somehow being challenged and that God could actually do miracles and he could actually show visions or, or appear and talk to us and actually be very real in our lives. I was, I, was, I was intrigued by the fact that my parents were now, having been Plymouth Brethren for so long, not believing that the miracles continue after the Bible had been been. been, uh, been been finished in terms of its, its composition. Now, seeing my parents this, this way, 
and seeing them really get excited and coming back and telling me stories about how God was doing things in people who are just our neighbors, our workmates, our, my dad's colleagues, our relatives and all that. God was actually alive. And I thought, my goodness, God is alive? Could he be alive for me as well? Could I, in my own insignificance, in my own kind of dreary boringness, can ex- experience God in the fact that I have experienced all this all the while feeling that God will always answer other people's prayers except mine. And so I began to f- follow them to these special meetings. These were called charismatic meetings. And they were going on all the time. My uncle had a meeting every Thursday in his, in his, in his house. And I would follow and I would watch and see how God would heal people. I saw tremendous miracles. This is astounding miracles uh, um, in people's lives. Tremendous healings. I even saw people who had been demon-possessed uh, had, having demons cast out of them and seeing that the miracles were real. I knew one thing. God was real, the devil was real, and all this stuff was no longer just a heady thing that you believe in or a philosophy that you believed in or a, a moral code that you believe in, but there was actual stuff happening that the miracles, the, the spiritual realm was real. But my question was this. Could God be real to me? Could he actually speak to me? Could he actually touch me? Could he actually change me? I could not imagine. I did not have the imaginative capacity to think of my life as a transformed life. I, didn't, I could not imagine how that could be possible. I was the person who was always during meetings, I would always sit at the back, not, not wanting to be noticed, and always knowing that when, the, when, when, when things are happening, it will never happen to me. It will always happen to someone else. I was, in some ways, a little bit like that, um, like the shepherds. And then, I believe that God began to draw me to himself. And I began to realize one day that God had loved me all the time. I was trying to get a room, get into the room, trying so hard to get into the room that I already was in. I was trying to get into the room of God's love, not realizing that God loved me. And all God was saying to me was this, go and see like the shepherds. Go and see. Go and see whether I really love you or not. Open yourself to me. And I remember asking God, God, if you really love me, if it's really true, I want you to speak to me. I want you to speak to me and I want you to give me the gift of tongues. I want to see something that can, never, can not happen by my own volition or my own, my, my own uh, uh, um, trying. I want to see that you call me, you bring me to yourself. To yourself. And I remember during those days, I went to that meeting this particular meeting, and all my friends had, had invited me. They were all Pentecostal. I was not Pentecostal. I was very suspicious of Pentecostalism, but I was so desperate for God. I, did, I said, I'm going to try anything. I don't know what the doctrines are, but just, I just need God. And, and, uh, and uh, the preacher was preaching, and he asked, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit wants to fill you. And I said, yeah, I want to. So, uh, he gave an altar call. I never responded to an altar call in, in my adult days at all. Um, 
I, uh, when I was a child, I never had the assurance of salvation. And every time somebody asked, do you want to receive Christ? I would do it. I think I must have done it 300 times, but never had the assurance that I was saved. But during this, this meeting, I went up and I said, I'd like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And for the first time in my life, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I felt that God was real in my life. Now something was going to change. It was not an emotional experience, but I just gave up my life, my life to Him. I lifted up my hands. I was very embarrassed to do that, but I did. I remember when I lifted up my hands, I felt the blood in my face just go up, redder and redder and redder and redder. And so I closed my eyes so that nobody could see it. And as I raised my hands, raised up my hands, I began to speak in tongues. My, my, my mouth started shaking and, uh, and, uh, and, and, sh- and shivering. And I thought, oh, I must be very, very nervous. But then words started coming out of my mouth. And for the first time, not an, an emotional experience, I felt maybe God was right there. I went home. The next morning, I woke up and I, and I, and I thought, God, are you with me? Am I accepted by you? Do, you? do I mean anything to you? And uh, I remember taking my Bible in the morning and, and uh, asking God that question. And I just turned my Bible to open it. And it rested on Isaiah chapter 43. And I, before I looked at it, before I read anything, I found tears just pouring down my eyes. Just tears pouring down my face. And I didn't know what? I've never had any emotional experience with God ever before. And I didn't even feel emotional. I, did, I wondered what was going on. And as I, as, I, as I wiped my tears, I looked down at the passage that was right in front of me. And Isaiah chapter 43 jumped out at me and it said, For you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. Now, I could have explained it any, in, all, in any number of ways, but for some reason, I felt spoken to. I'm not able to explain the logic or the physics of it, but at that moment, I felt spoken to. And for the first time in my life, ever, I felt that God loved me. He loved me not because of the fact of anything significant that I'd done, of any particular qualities in my life or any particular unique gifts that I had, but because of the fact that he loved me unconditionally. I can understand what, what it was for the shepherds when God came to them, not because of anything, but because of the fact that he loves us unconditionally. My life was never the same again. Never the same again. There are some of us who feel that in this time, God doesn't care about your pain. God doesn't care about what your life is about. It doesn't matter to God. Your life does not matter to God. I want to say that you can never earn significance with God. And the first thing, first practical thing I want to tell you is this. You need to drop any kind of struggle to do something significant to be someone significant. For some of us, our issue is competitiveness. For some of us, it's a matter of trying to find something unique so that we will make ourselves more significant. I want to put it to you that those things will never make you significant, much less famous. Our our significance is based so much upon wanting more people to know us 
we struggle so hard to be known and we are um, hoping that we will be more significant by, by virtue of the number of people who like our posts or, or do all, all that, or any of that stuff. I want to put it to you that God considers us, us significant and loved in the secretness, in the, in the anonymity of our smallness. You see, you have to know God's love for you when you're really, really small. You've got to really know that God loves you when you have nothing of worth to the world. And it may be said unkindly about the shepherds that when the shepherds heard all that the angels had said and they had seen that God had done, they went home full of joy and full of rejoicing. It says full of praise to God. And it could be said unkindly of those shepherds. Well, insignificant people experience joy, but it's insignificant to the world anyway. That their joy was insignificant. Their, their praise to God and their glory was, had no effect upon the world. It was not important to the world. They are insignificant people experiencing joy in a very insignificant way. It may be true, but what the, 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 the real truth of the fact is this, that when God gives us His glory in our smallness, in our humility, in our humiliation, in our sense of not having much worth, it is in this place that you've got to know that you are significant to God, not in the place of your achievement. It was in this place that in my complete brokenness, I saw that God loved me for no reason, for no, no thing that I've ever done, for no significance that I had. I was not attractive, I was not smart, I was not any, anything. I could not point to one thing that I, was, that I, I had that was significant over, over anyone else. But I had to give up my sense of wanting to prove myself or to show myself or authenticate myself or assert myself or to fluff myself up or to make myself big. I had to give that up and to come to God in my insignificance and saying, God, is there another reason why I am important to you? Because it is from that place that I need to have my identity and not in my unique characteristics. It was in this place that God deposited in me a sense that I was loved by Him. And you know what? It is from that place that God begins to do glorious things like He did with the shepherds. Imagine glorious things like He did with Stephen Mubanga. Glorious things that He did through Naaman's slave girl. There were no particular special things that she did, except for the fact that the hand of the Lord was upon her and that God loved her even in her slavery. She was still a slave. And even as a slave, she just said one thing to her master who had leprosy, the general Naaman. She said, if only you can go and see the prophet there. And you know what? It stuck in his heart. It stuck in his heart. You know, I had always been as a Christian, a person who wondered why the words that I speak never stick in anybody's heart. Nobody pays attention to the words that I say. The words that I say have no weight in anybody's life. And I always wondered, why is it I speak and counsel and do so many things and try to help people and, 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 and come up with the smartest things and all that, and nobody considers that, that important. But he, this slave girl in, in Naaman's uh, household just said one thing, just almost, almost like wistfully, I wish you could come and see the prophet. And it stuck in his 
his mind. And that is the thing that happens with people who are insignificant, small and insignificant, but because of the fact they've received Jesus, you've received Jesus into their life, that in their smallness, they have something big. What John Donne calls immensity cloistered in, in our little womb. They have something big. And they speak, and they may speak very softly, but God is on it. Other people who want to be significant, constantly looking at seeing whether people are considering what they say or what they do significant, and they are trying to beef it up with profundity and all that. And then a person who could be a small, small in the eyes of the world, speaks and God's hand is upon him. Today, I believe believe that God wants to give us that kind of significance, the significance of God's hand upon our lives, the significance in which The things that God has us do, simple things, have divine infinity upon it, divine power, they have divine weight upon it. After I came to the Lord and I I experienced Him in this way, I began to find that God was using me to plant churches. And I planted several churches and saw miracles taking place. I didn't know what, I didn't have any particular gifts. I didn't have any particular special killer, killer abilities and all that. Um, I still stammered. I still found difficulty uh, coming up with sermons. I have difficulty in many, many things. But I found that somehow God would use me in, in various ways. And uh, I saw miracles taking place. I saw the dead race. I saw the blind sea. I saw the lame walk. I saw people with uh, internal bleeding stop their bleeding. I saw uh, people with, with legs, one shorter than the other, grow. I saw all these things happen. I saw these people transform. I saw the, these people change. And nothing special, nothing special about me. I didn't find, try to find out what's my killer gift and all that, my killer, killer unique thing. I just did whatever I could in a very, very, uh, as best as I could. Most of, the, most of it not that well. And God would actually use me. But because of the fact that there is something about these people, you see, like the shepherds, they experienced the hand of God upon them. Glory was all around them. So much so that what they spoke stuck. So that when they spoke about what they saw, it stuck in Mary's heart and she treasured them. Isn't that amazing? But anyway, one of the things that happened was that in one of the churches that I had started, there was a woman who was there, a very young woman, and... uh, just like me, nothing particularly outstanding about them. And she had been the student of a teacher, a geography teacher, and she was in high school. She was not a particular good, particularly good student. In fact, she was only noticed by this geography teacher because she was failing a lot of the exam, her, her exams. And this geography teacher was a, a, a married to the, the, the chairman of the Chamber of Commerce in that city. So they were very prominent people. And uh, her husband and, and she, the, the, this teacher, were very, very uh, well-known in that city. Everybody knew them, and they were very successful in their business and all that. And uh, they were Christians. They were Christians, Baptists. Now, this woman in my church, who had been a former student of this, of this, uh, this teacher, had been touched by the Lord. And like me, had experienced how God could come to just very nondescript, very uh, seemingly insignificant people. And she came and she said, 
you know, Pastor Mike, I want to go back to talk to my, my teacher. She helped me a lot. But those, during those days, I was not a Christian. And I, can, I sense that she's struggling. She's struggling. She's a Christian. And so she went back. And she was now in her early 20s. And she went back and talked to, the, to the, her teacher. Now, the, you got to know that the way she talked, she had a speech impediment. She was, to, to, in the eyes of the world, having nothing very interesting to talk about. She was just like very, very plain in, in so many different ways. And she went to, went to, and she said, can you please pray for me? Because I want to talk to this person because I feel that God wants to do something tremendous in her life. Now she went back and I prayed for her. I said, well, I hope you are not going to be disappointed. Yeah. And she said, I'm praying. She went and talked to the teacher and the teacher wept and wept and wept. There was nothing special that she said. Later on, this teacher who became a member, of, a member of my church said, I don't know what she said, but I think God was moving through, through her. And she and her husband became revived and God used them. And God, to cut a long story short, I went to that place that they were living in and started a church there. And uh, through that church, many, many people, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people will experience God's reality through this person. What am I saying? I'm saying that the Lord comes upon small things, not puffed up, not fluffed up, not aggrandized by, by self. And he comes and he, he lights a fire when you are small. When you have nothing to, um, to commend you, and it is this touch of God that makes all the difference. It is this touch of God that makes all the difference. So I want to, I want to, I want to invite you to accept God's call upon your life. Accept the fact that your significance doesn't come just because of the fact that you've done something significant. I want to tell you one story, okay? Very, very quick, quickly, I've got to tell you a story. This is a story that I need to tell you because uh, it's made such an impact upon my life. Zephi was telling me about the fact that in the... The, in, in, during the time of the Enlightenment, towards the end of, uh, of uh, um, this, this, a certain period, it began to be discovered that music was nothing more than just sound waves. Yeah? And sound waves were just something that were just physically um, um, uh, uh, bro- broken downable. Okay? You could break it down so much so that music was considered not really that significant. It was kind of frivolous because it was just nothing more than sound waves to such an extent that music was considered not important as long as there was no words. It was the words sung into music that would make it significant. And it was during the time of Bach's old age that he, being a tremendous man of God, a man of deep spirituality, who never considered music and prayer separated. Bach took the challenge to write a number of fugues, I think about 40 of them actually, and uh, it's, it's classified under what, what's called the art of the fugue. And in, because of the touch of God upon his life, 
because of the hand of God, the anointing of God upon his life, he wrote these fugues. And as his fugues began to be released, people began to see how beautiful, how complex these contrapuntal phrases, he wrote them as, as like conversations. He put himself into the music as if they were music talking to each other. And what came out was so beautiful that it completely obliterated the idea that music was not important because of the sheer beauty, the sheer anointing upon these songs, the Art of the Fugue. And I want to put it to you that this is something that God wants to do, inexplicable, upon the smallest of us. And go and see that God wants to do this. Let us pray. I wonder whether there are those of us who are hoping for significance. You're wondering whether God sees your pain, that God could change your life, that God could touch you and turn your life around. You're wondering whether God is, could be significant to you. I want to invite you to just drop any kind of struggling to earn significance and come before him and just receive the fact that he loves you and that he has called you and you are significant to him you don't have to struggle to get into the room you are already in the room Mm -hmm. and receive that and in doing so come and see I want to invite you to receive Jesus in his fullness into your life. Quit struggling. Quit trying to compete. You are loved. You are treasured by God. And God was so adamant in proving that, that he bypassed Herod, bypassed all the pomp and circumstance of the ways in which the world considers things important and went straight to the shepherds. It's not that people who are small are better than people that are big. It's just that God loves us nevertheless. If you build your life based upon how good you are, you will come crashing down. But today in Christmas... We have a gift, not earned. Hallelujah. Praise God. Even before the message today, I felt that there's someone who is changing their entire path right now, maybe towards a job or towards people, um, because of what they see and their desire to move up. They want to move up the ladder they want to move up even in their own estimation of themselves. And I feel that this message is for, for you. It's for us. And then immediately after, I saw a picture, and suddenly everything in front of our eyes, they, it clearly, that we can see with our physical eyes, clearly began to be something that was masking the reality around us, the reality of the road. And so we want to pray right now into that, Lord Jesus. We acknowledge that astrophysicists know that we can only see 1% of what is out there. 
there is so much more out there. So we pray right now for eyes to see what you are saying in this message right now, what you are doing right now, that all of the work of the world that we look around us, the lights and the greens and reds, would begin to just tear apart so that our heart, Lord Jesus, can see you, can see your word, can have our paths lit so we actually know which way to go. So we pray that people will see it, see the path that you give, that the world did not make, but you make towards yourself and towards your glory. If you would like to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to pay a prayer prayer and repeat it in your heart, and God will come to you. Mm-hmm. Lord Jesus, I'm done trying to prove myself, struggle to become, become significant, struggle to matter to people and to you. I realize that you love me before all that, prior to that, and I give myself to you. Come and cleanse me from all my sin, all my wrongs, and make me a new person. Thank you, Lord, that you love me first, and I give my life to you. Come and fill me with the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. I want to invite you to receive prayer, if you like prayer. To go further, we have a time in which we soak in the presence of God and it is in a special time in which you can talk to God and God can uh, minister to you. Uh, we will be just spending some time in that moment after we close, after we have closed in prayer. We've actually closed in prayer already. But for those who want to remain soaking in the presence of God, um, join us there. And if there are any of you who'd like prayer, uh, at the bottom of the screen, there is a Uh, a link that shows how you can get prayer as well. God bless you and Merry Christmas. And we look forward to seeing you tonight, whether it is here at the church outside or for those who will join us on Zoom at 5.30 with Shantae. Thank you for coming to Christmas service. Merry Christmas. God bless you.